Um, we're going to get to the task at hand. So I hope that you have a copy of God's Word with you. And I want you to take it and turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. I want to encourage you every time that we get together, whether it's a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, any time that I'm going to be before you and I'm going to be speaking or preaching or teaching, I'm going to be coming from the Word of God. So I would encourage you to have a copy of God's Word with you. There's three sounds that I love to hear in the church. One is the baptismal waters being stirred. Number two is the sound of children in the church. And number three is the sound of the pages of Scripture turning as people are going. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, well, I have it on my phone, Spence. I've got it right here. And your phone also has notifications. It also has Facebook. It also has text messaging. And it also has all kinds of distractions that keep you from being able to focus on the Word of God. So, I have a Bible in front of me, and I want to encourage you in the days and the weeks ahead that you would um, prioritize having a copy of God's Word. Uh, You can sit here and you can mark in it. You can sit here and you can doodle or draw in it. You can do other things with it. But one of the things you can do with it is you can study God's Word, and you can let God's Word speak richly into your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were not alone, but you were alone? You ever been there where you felt like the presence of something was around you? I think that all of us have probably been that moment where we've been in the dark, we've been in a strange place, and we just felt something weird. We felt like there was something there or someone there, and we just couldn't quite put our finger on what it was. Well, there's a scientist by the name of And I'm going to find out here in a minute, Olaf Blanc, and he is with the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne. And he set out in 2014 to study the phenomenon known as the uh, the, uh, uh, presence, the presence of a feeling or the feeling of presence, more precise. And so what he said is he was looking at all these mental disorders, some people call it uh, schizophrenia, some people call it epilepsy, some people, uh, if you're a mountain climber, you will have this phenomenon if you get to high enough heights where you feel like there's a third man with you. But this Swiss scientist said, I'm going to determine if this feeling of presence is real or if it's just a mental hoax. So they set out in 2014 and began doing these sets of experiments trying to reproduce this feeling of presence in a person. And in fact, they got so good at it using some of these robotic experiments that they were able to reproduce. So I could bring Steve up here and I could put him in a certain position and I could put these robots around him and we could simulate where all of a sudden Steve would say, I feel a presence. I feel something with me. One of the people that were collaborating on the research with a man by the name of Peter Bruger. He was a neuropsychologist at the University Hospital of Zurich, Switzerland. And he said, this research is so groundbreaking because the same way that you can trick a brain into creating an alien presence, you could then also trick the brain into relearning the differences between things they have held true for all their lives and things that you want to teach them for the rest of their lives. In other words, the research they were saying is that if we can learn how to manipulate the person's brain, if we can learn how to make the person think something is true that isn't true, if we can make them think that something is real that isn't real, what else can we do with the human brain? And you may say, well, Spence, what in the world does that have to do with Exodus 33 this morning? Why do we care about some European scientists back in 2014? Well, here's the danger. The world right now is trying to manipulate your brain. And the world right now is trying to trick your brain into believing things that the Bible says is not true. And the world at this very moment, Satan right now at this very second, is trying to get you to believe things that he is trying to tell you that simply aren't true. 
He's going to try to get us as a church to think about, well, you know what? We, we, we don't need to have uh, obedience. Faithfulness is uh, optional. Sanctification is something that is not no longer necessary. And so he will try to bring these things into our mind. But we as a church need to be mindful. We as a church need to be watchful that we are listening to the right sources. You see, some people will try to talk about this feeling of presence. Some people will talk about this eerie feeling. Some people will talk about this ghost. But us in the Christian community, us as Christians, we long ago accepted the idea that as long as you are saved by Jesus Christ and as long as you know that your eternity is secured to Him, you and I are never alone. We always have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And once upon a time, we assumed that any time we gathered together as a church, that God would be present. You've probably heard before people talk about Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20 where it says, forever two or three together, there I am in there, or there I am among them. This idea that we are all gathered so God has to be here. But if you look in your notes, and I think there was a copy of the bulletin, if you came in, if you use those, I think there's going to be some sermon notes. There may even be behind me on the screen if you want to look at those. I think there's a reality that we need to consider this morning. The reality is that God's presence, God's presence isn't a given in the church today. It's not automatic. I've been through those classes. I know that God is omnipresent. I know that God is always everywhere at every single moment. But you think, I think uh, Mo has been walking through the book of Revelation. And so he just got through Revelation 2 and Re- Revelation 3 and talked about the seven churches and how God came through the pen of John and said, listen, if you all don't straighten up, I'm pulling my lampstand away from you. I am taking my presence out of your church. And so one of the things that I want to get to this morning as we consider where we're headed together as a church is to ask ourselves a question, Are we going to prioritize the presence of God in this church today? The last time I was with you back in May, we were looking at the priority of worship and looking about Exodus 32, about the golden calf and how they thought that they could worship God and they could worship their idols. They thought they could worship with the world and worship with the presence of uh, of the the church and that the two do not go together. And this morning, I want to continue looking at the priorities that should be true about us by looking at the priorities of the presence of God. And we're going to do this by framing two different options for the church today. Two different options that I want to pull directly out of the text here in Exodus chapter 33. Two different options that I think are before us as we look in the future as a church. And the first option is this. Success without presence. Success without presence. Presence. Now, if you look in the notes or if it's up there on the screen, uh, you'll, you'll see I put success in square quotes because a lot of times what we consider to be success are not the things that God considers to be success. But pick it up there in verse 1 of chapter 3 here in the book of Exodus, and I want you to listen to how this plays itself out. Verse 1 of chapter 33, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I have swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, or the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked 
people. Now right here in this narrative, you get an idea of what the, how the, the, the narrative is unfolding. How this scene is unfolding, if you will. You remember to where we're at right here in the story of the Jewish people. They had come here to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses had gone up on the mountain. He was receiving the Ten Commandments. The people are down there with Aaron and they get bored. They get tired. They get restless. Just like a bunch of sheep that we were talking about in Sunday school. How, yeah, if they don't have a shepherd, what do they do? They start fighting. They start wandering. They start going every which direction. And so the people are gathered there at the base of the mountain. They decide we're going to make us an idol. They got Aaron. He crafted an idol. They said we're going to worship that idol. God says Moses go down and take care of your people. Your people are getting out of line. Go tell them to, go tell them to uh, police that thing up. And so he goes down there. They have uh, Exodus 32 talks about how they repented before God. And then you get there to Exodus 33 and God finally says alright go. You want to go to the promised land? Go. In fact, right there in verse 1 of chapter 33, that word depart, if you were to go back and look it up in the original language, it's like God is looking at the people of Israel and saying, get. You ever had that happen before? You have that dog and that dog just won't leave you alone? That stray dog and you know if you feed it, it's going to stay there forever. And so that dog is just wandering around and just hanging around and you, and you just want to kick at the dog and say, just get. You know, sometimes, sometimes you daddies of daughters, you got some boys coming around and you just need to look at them and say, get, get. You know, you're, you're just trying to tell them to shoo away. Well, that's what God is doing right here. He looks at Moses and he says, all right, you all want to be rebellious. You all, you all want to do your own thing. Get. Just go on. But then some people look at this and say, no, 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 Spence, you got this all wrong. You see, God told them to go. You see that there in the text. God says, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. So some people will look at this and say, no, Spence, you don't understand. God told them to go. But the danger is that we often confuse the permissiveness of God with the will of God. Just because God is allowing something to happen doesn't mean that God is directing it. And there's this temptation out there that we as a church might become to think that we can have success without the presence of God. God looks at these people and says, all right, you want to go? Go. You want to get to the promised land? Go to the promised land. But my presence will not be with you. And the question that they had to ask is, was that enough? God had told them to go. God had even promised some angelic protection that you see there in verse 2. He said that this angel would go before you. This angel would drive out the people. In other words, when you get down there to verse 2 and verse 3, you see that the people were getting what they wanted. They had dreamed about going to the promised land for the last 400 years. They had dreamed about getting under the bondage of Egyptian slavery. They had dreamed about getting to the place that they had heard their forefathers tell them that God had set aside just for them. The place that Abraham had seen. They knew all this stuff was there, but they understood understood that the last part of verse 3 God says but I will not go up among you so God had told them to go God had promised them protection they were getting what they wanted the only caveat was that God wouldn't be with them they would have their possessions they would have their comfort they would have their happiness they would have everything in this world but they wouldn't have God's glory I think there's a lesson here for you and I today. Because it can be easy for you and I to measure and evaluate the church today from a worldly standard. We start to come in and we start to look at numbers. We start to look at decisions. We start to look at money. We start to look at prestige. Why we just call the pastor and he is Dr. So-and-so. Who cares what he is? Met the uh, new director of missions for the Pot Lincoln 
Baptist Association, I think is how is a proper terminology. And, I, and I, I'd already read up on him. I'm one of those people. I'm already creeping already ahead before I ever get there. And so he's sitting there and he's hooking onto a trailer. So I sit up there to help him hook onto a trailer and uh, help him hook up to the trailer. And I'm asking him all these questions about this block party trailer. And he's explaining to me like he, he doesn't know who I am, but I know who he is. And that's kind of a nice place to be, right? And so he finally introduces himself and I say, well, I'm so-and-so. And he says, well, I'm uh, such and such Wilder. And I said, you mean Dr. Wilder? And he said, no, don't worry about that doctor stuff. Just Terry, I think his name was. And I thought, that's the kind of guy that I want to associate with. Not the guy that's, come, that's stuck up in prestige. Not the kind of guy that's stuck up in titles. But the guy that is just saying, I am just another servant of the Lord. But church, it can be easy for us to get stuck in this idea of measuring and evaluating the church today from this worldly standard. We think that we will do whatever it takes to have success. And so we are looking around us and we see empty chairs. And we say, well, what is it going to take to fill these chairs? We could give away a Corvette every Sunday morning. Could have Ron up here in a clown suit doing some juggling. Could put Van up here in the dunk tank. We could do all sorts of things if we wanted to to try to entertain people, but that doesn't guarantee that we're going to have success in the eyes of God. So Moses is sitting there. God is speaking to Moses and God says, All right, Moses, you all want what you want. I'm going to tell you I will let you have success in the eyes of the world. I will give you this worldly success. The only difference is, is I will not be with you. You've heard it said before that the dictionary is the only place that success comes before work. I would also add to that that it's the only place that you will find success before worship. If we're going to have success as a church and we're going to be spiritually successful as a church, it's going to have to be starting with worshiping of God and desiring the presence of God more than the presence of people in the pew. I promise you that based upon the word of God, when we get our worship to God right, people will take notice right here in Wellston. People will see it in Lincoln County and people will say, I want to see what they're doing. They will come not because of the next trick or because of the newest idea. They will come because the presence of God is here. Amen. And we start to think, well, it's just a method issue. Or if you're like the next person down the road. And, and sometimes we start to evaluate and start to dream of success. And we miss and we ignore and we push, push past the idea of the presence of God. So God comes here to Moses right here in this passage and he says, all right, Moses, you all want to go? You all want to get to where you want to get to? All right, you go on ahead. You just go ahead and get. Well, what happens? Verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people for if a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Then you get down to verse 7 all the way down through verse 11. You have a little bit of an interlude, if you will, talking about the tent of meeting and how Moses would go out to the tent of meeting. But then I want you to let your eyes fall down to verse 12. So what did Moses say? How did Moses respond? Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and 
You have also, or you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, in sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The first option that we have as a church is to have success without presence. There's another option that I think that Moses gets us to right here in this text is that we can have presence without success. So sometimes people look at it and say, well, I'm not worried about the presence of God. Just give me the success. Spence, all we need to do is just go gangbuster on the numbers and we just need to fill this place. The chairs that are sitting over there, the chairs that are sitting over here, we need to pull them out and we just need to start rocking this thing out and just booming at the seams. But if God's not here, then we're wasting our time. If the presence of God isn't here, then all we are is a social club. We're an entertainment hub. We can get up here and we can put Greg and some skinny jeans and some spiked hair. And we can have a fog machine running around here. I can get up here and we can have all this dramatization and we can have these videos up above us. We can do all these things that the world says you have to do today to be successful as a church. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that we can be successful in the eyes of the world as a church and not successful in the eyes of God. And so Moses, his attitude is, is God, I want your presence even if that means I don't have worldly Success, And those are the two options that I think it boils down to many times. I mean, there's other decisions that we're going to face as a church in the days ahead. There's other decisions that you face. I realize that. But there's a decision that we come to every single day when we get up. Do I want to have success without the presence of God? Or I want the presence of God even if that means that I don't have success. Now you're saying, Spence, that they can't have both. Oh, I know you can have both. You can have success in this world and you can have the presence of God. But if you only could choose one, which one is it going to be? That's a matter of priorities. So notice what Moses does. Moses sits down before the Lord. He comes before the Lord. He pleads before the Lord. And he says, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses' attitude was is that he wanted to seek the pleasure of God before the pleasure of man. In fact, he says that right there in verse 13. Now therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Moses wasn't taking a pool to see what the popular opinion was. Moses didn't ask the people, what do you want the temperature to be set on in the sanctuary? Moses didn't say, what color do you people like? He didn't say, well, well, how how long do you want the service to be? Moses' attitude was, I'm only concerned about one person's opinion, and that is God's. Only one person's opinion matters in my life, and that is God. So he sits there before God. He's interceding before God, and he says, God, what must I do to have your favor? And then he's pleading with God. He's pleading with God there in verse 13 and 14 that he wants God's presence before the world's presence. He's saying, God... You've brought me all this far. And you think about this Moses guy. He's the one that had a stick that could turn into a snake. I don't know what kind of stick that was, but that'd be a good stick to burn in my opinion. 
He's also the same kind of guy that could go there and make the whole river Nile turn to blood. I understand sometimes Deep Fork has that kind of a red tint to it. Sometimes the Red River for a while I've been now sometimes has that red to it, to it. But you have never seen just pure blood flowing down the river. And the Nile is not just the Deep Fork that you may cross. The Nile is not just the Red River. The Nile is not just some of the rivers that you may even get up around Tulsa. When you see the Nile, the Nile beats all of them by a mile. Huge river and it's all full of blood. This is that Moses. Oh, this is also the same Moses that looked at Pharaoh and said, you just watch this, and frogs came in. The gnats came in. The flies came in. The grasshoppers came in. Moses had that kind of intimate relationship with God. And yet, right here in this text, Moses is not saying, well, I remember yesterday. I remember last week. I remember what you did with me two years ago. He's not relying upon his past success or his past experiences. He realizes that he needs the presence of God today. We were talking. Well, we weren't talking in in the lesson this morning in Sunday school, which you need to be in Sunday school if you're not in Sunday school. The lesson this morning in Sunday school, he was talking about the sheep. And Mo brought out about the idea of the sheep and the the shepherd having the food for the sheep for just that day. And what that did was, is that kept the sheep dependent upon the shepherd. And you and I come to church. Preacher's got an hour to feed me. And that's it. And we think that one hour of feeding, and I don't even get a full hour, to be, my, to be honest with you. I don't even get that, t- that much time. Some of you give me like 10 minutes, and then you start, I can see the, I can see the droopy eyes. And some of you are sitting there acting like you're reading your phone, you're, you're reading the Bible on your phone, and I'm not even reading the Bible. So some of you are doing that stuff too. But you know, we, we come here, we spend an hour, and then we think, okay, I'm good for the rest of the week. You give God one hour a week, and you give the world 167 hours a week, and you wonder why you and I look more like the world than we do like God. That is why it's vital that we have our quiet time with God every day. That's why it's vital that we are sticking together in the fellowship of believers. That's why it's vital that you and I are constantly growing in our relationship with God because the presence of God is not something that we just rely on for yesterday. It's something that we're constantly and continually seeking to grow in every single day. But we don't do that. Because I'm more enamored with the success of this world than I am the presence of God. So I get up and I don't have time to read my Bible. Because you know what? I've got to get to work. Well, Spence, you know, i got, I got to be at work. i got to feed my family. Sure. So get up an hour before you got to go to work so you can spend time with God. Well, you know, you don't understand. Oh, I do understand. I understand completely and I understand it's a matter of discipline and I understand it's a matter of priorities and I understand it's a matter of desperation and when you think that you can do it without God then you're more pursuing the worldly success of this world instead of the presence of God. And we've we got to be asking ourselves well, what is the priority? Do we pursue or do we prioritize success without the presence or do we prioritize the presence without success so Moses Moses is back here and he's saying God I want your favor God I want your presence God these are the things that I want for you now you may be sitting here thinking this morning well well, that's great that's what I want to do well why did Moses feel that way if you look there in your text he he even says there in verse 15 notice with me Moses is speaking to God and he says and he said to him If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, God, your presence is so important. I would much rather be in a tent in the middle of the wilderness than in the finest mansion in the most pleasurable place in the world. And how could he do that? 
And this is where I, this is where I think so many times we miss it. I include it. This is where so many times we miss it. Because Moses understood God's glory. Moses understood the glory of God. Moses understood that you can't synthesize God's glory. You can't duplicate God's glory. You can't replicate God's glory. You can't imitate God's glory. He understood that all the success of this world around him today, all the success that you might or might not face in your life, none of it will compare to the glory of God. What does it say in Revelation chapter 1 when John is sitting there on the island of Patmos and Jesus shows himself to John? What does it say? John just, he fell down flat. The glory of the God floored him. And yet we have people today that are writing books about going in and hanging out with God in heaven. Like it's some casual, nonchalant conversation. Moses understood the glory of God because he had been intimate with God. Because he had seen in an intimate way the glory of God. And you get down there later on in chapter 33. God is willing to show Moses just a little bit of his glory. Can't show him his face. Shows him the back of his face. But he says, my glory is too great. You can't even handle it, Moses. Moses had a taste of the glory of God. He had a taste of what it was like. I can't tell you the first time that I ever had a bite of ice cream. But I can tell you my life's never been the same since. We went to church with a man down there at Zanice and he has never ate ice cream. Ever. He is my age, 38, 39, maybe a little bit older than me, maybe 40. He has never ate ice cream. And I looked at him and I said, DJ, how in the world have you made it this long and you've never had ice cream? And he said, I don't know, preachers, or something I've never, never done. And I said, well, you know what? Can I give you a piece of ice? Never try it. I said, because once you do, you're going to want more. You're going to want more, you're going to want more, you're going to want more, and you're going to start finding ways to say, well, you know what? I can have this dish here. This ain't going to hurt anything. I can just tell you my waistline is proof that it, you can rationalize it all day long, but you're still going to have to have the answer. I mean, the fruit is in the result. I mean, the, you know, anyways. <laughs> but you get that one taste and you can't get enough of it. And it should be that way with the glory of God. And it shouldn't be one of those things that you come in on a Sunday morning and you say, okay, well, that's great. I'm done. It should be something that if we really understood God's glory, we wouldn't ever be able to get enough of it. We wouldn't ever be satisfied with it. It would never be sufficient for what we need today. And Moses understood God's glory. Not just that, but Moses understood that when the glory of God comes upon you, and when you get it, you're going to want to be different. In fact, he says that right there in verse 16. Notice what he says. Are you looking at it? He says, is it not? And you're going with us so that we are distinct. Moses understood that the reasons why they needed God's presence is because God's presence is what made them different than everyone else. You know what makes us different than the lions or the kiwanas or the moose? We can do charitable things. We can do good things. We can all sit together and have great times of fellowship. What makes us different is the presence of God. Can God be there? Sure they can be there, but is their explicit purpose is for the glory of God? No! What is the explicit purpose of the church in the world today? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The expressed purpose, the, ex- the implicit purpose, the, uh, the priority of the church today should be the glory of God. And when we get that church, we won't have a hard time being different. You know, we live in a day and age that everyone wants to be like someone else. Everybody wants to be a, a Kardashian. Or a West, a Kanye West. 
We look at these celebrities on television like, oh, I wish I could be like that person. I wish I could be like that person. I remember growing up when I was Ethan's age and boy, Tom Cruise was the man during that time and I always thought, boy, you know what? If I could just shrink down about another foot and a half and not be as good looking, then I could look like Tom Cruise. And I remember thinking, boy, that would be so cool. But you know, and that's the world we're living in today. Everybody's trying to be like someone else and we have neglected the distinctives even in the life of the church. We've taken their name off the sign. We act like we're embarrassed. But we actually come together and we actually submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And that we actually come in and obey commandments and words that are written down in a book by our Creator given for our instruction. We've in some ways become embarrassed with the holiness of God. And Moses knew the difference between a church and a social club was the presence of God. Let me read for you out of 1 Peter chapter 1 and starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we were brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passage of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. So what God is telling us through His Word and what Moses is demonstrating for us by His response to God was that He wanted the presence of God even if that meant that He didn't get the success of the world. And He wanted the presence of God so much that He said, God, I need Your presence because it is through Your presence that I find distinction. That I find my identity. That I find who I am. You see, the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that at one point in our lives, every single one of us We're sinners. Every single one of us were destined to hell apart from the payment of sin for our lives. And that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this world to pay the penalty for our sins so that you and I might have the opportunity to be forgiven. And so the the Bible tells us, if you know that you're a sinner and you know you've never been forgiven of your sins and you know that you need to be saved of your sins, that today is a day that you can cry out in repentance and confession and then you can recognize Jesus and and you can uh, say, Jesus, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you with everything that I've got. And today you may be forgiven. But that moment, whether you're making it today or whether you made it yesterday you made it a long time ago that moment then causes you to be distinct from the world that's what first peter one is saying first peter one is saying that for those that have repented and those that have confessed those that have submitted their lives to the lord and savior you're supposed to be different you're supposed to have different priorities you're supposed to have different desires you're supposed to have different want to's So where are you at this morning? I don't know if you can see there at the bottom of the notes, but I just, we may do these things differently as time go on, but I've got three questions. And they're not just the application questions for you to think of right now, but you know, so many times you will leave on a Sunday morning and you will go to your respective places and you'll have the preacher for lunch. Sometimes it goes like, well, how was church this morning? Eh. How was Greg this morning? Eh. How is this? Eh. And we'll sit there and we'll critique and we'll sit there and we'll examine and we'll sit there and talk. But what would it be like if we went to our respective places and we talked about what God was saying to us? So, so why not think about these three questions? And maybe some questions that you can talk about with your wife. Maybe some questions you can talk about with your husband. Maybe some questions you can talk about with your children. Maybe some questions when you're up in the morning and you're having your quiet time before the rest of the day starts. Maybe these are some things you can be thinking about. First question. What are my three, or my top three priorities? 
What are the things that matter most in my life? And I'm not asking you to give me the Sunday school answer. I know Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not asking for the simple things. I'm asking in the morning you wake up and you're an hour and a half late of waking up. What are you going to do? Are you going to brush your teeth or is that optional? Are you going to put on deodorant or is that optional? Are you going to put on shoes or is that optional? I mean, what are the priorities of your life? Number two, how am I defining success? If I was to ask you to sit down and write a definition of what is success, how would you write it? Would you write it as being faithful, obedient to God? Or would you write it as having a comfortable bank account, a nice house, a good retirement, a comfortable home, a nice vehicle to drive? What are you defining as success? And then this final one, do I really want God's presence in my life? Because my concern is, That we can come into this place this morning and we can say, yes, Vince, I want God's presence in my life. But we don't want God's presence enough to prioritize His presence. I know that you don't have hymnals there in the seats in front of you. But my favorite hymn in all hymnity has survived through the updates and through the additions of the Baptist hymnal. It's on page 550, and I'd be fine if Greg sang this song every single Sunday. In fact, last Sunday, my last Sunday down there, is I said, the, the pianist, she knew this is my favorite hymn. And so during the offertory, um, which there in our, our service was, we'd always take up the offering, they have the offertory, and then we usually have a special, and then I get up, and it's my turn. And so she played this hymn, knowing it's my favorite one, kind of as a tribute. And so I am sitting there, bawling, Knowing I've got three minutes before Cherry gets done singing and then I've got to be able to talk. And so I'm trying to compose myself. And you're just thinking, well, what's the hymn, Spence? I'd rather have Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, when this song gets to be your life, and when this song gets into your bones, it makes a difference. I wish I had Greg's voice, I would sing it, but I'm more going to talk and hum it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let Him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. What are your priorities in your life today? And where does the presence of God come in the priority of your life? You bow your heads with me.